Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm in India. And we are your theory doctors. Hello. Welcome back. Hope you've all been well. Um, we are recording this on the 5th of July. And what are we talking about today, Hannah? We are talking about, well, so this will probably be a little bit, a little bit kind of old news mm. Um, by the time you're listening, but this week Disney has just announced that they have cast a woman of color to play Ariel in their live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. So, I mean, we've we've done live-action remakes of Disney uh, already. Uh, We love them. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You can go back and listen to all the many problems we have with the way Disney is is doing live action remakes of all of its classic films uh but that's not our focus today our focus is the uproar on social media and off social media that this seems to have caused every time an actor of color is chosen to play a character that is conventionally coded as white there is a kind of backlash you know there's a sort of anti-political correctness backlash that says that this character should be white. Why are we getting a, a non-white person to play this this character? Um, there was a stage production of this cursed child, which uh, play written by J.K. Rowling, out of the Harry Potter universe, where a, uh, a woman of color was cast to play Hermione, caused the same same fury. There've been others, uh, many others along the way. Uh, why are we interested in this? A number of reasons, I think. We obviously sit uh, kind of politically, and you can probably guess uh, what we think of this, which is that it's great mm. um, for, certainly for the actress herself, mm. uh, for representation. Um, it's, you know, politically this is important. Um, and... Uh, you know, we're not certainly not disputing any of that. Mm. We're quite interested in the way the left is is handling it. Yes. Um, and the different arguments that are mobilized to defend um, race blind casting more generally, to defend um, kind of diversifying representation, mm. um, and and also the kind of the the sort of standard mm. arguments that get mounted on both sides. Mm. And it's, there's sort of two, I think there's kind of two aspects to mm. this that we're going to look at today, but they're related. It has to mm. do with, with authenticity um, and accuracy, which aren't the same things, um, but are mm. both a part of, of the story that's mm. being told. Mm. Um, and obviously, as with everything we do, politics is ultimately at the at the heart of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, we have slightly different emphases, I think, mm. you and I, but we're not 
we don't disagree. Yeah. So there's no battle yeah. here, but yeah. we're interested in slightly yeah. different questions. Well, we've come to the same conclusion. Yes. Um, this there's there's lots of kind of discourse about this. Mm. Um, social media has made it, I think, more kind of um, central, yeah. more mainstream, um, and it's also made it more volatile mm. and and mm. I think nasty. Some of the some of the right wing stuff, of yeah. course, is is really unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and it's I mean it's it's not new. I mean and, and there's. You know, like Ghostbusters, right? The the remake of yeah. Ghostbusters, quite famously, when the the trailer went up on YouTube, yeah. and then an army of a particular sort of person uh, got together to kind of um, downvote it and stuff yeah. on YouTube. And the, well, the it was always saying they're always saying ruining my childhood. Yeah, it's ruining my childhood. When when the cast Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. Yeah. Um, you know, the doctor should be a man. How how dare they cast a woman as doctor? It's not authentic. It's not accurate. Uh, and it's... The, the argument on the right is that accuracy is sacrificed for an extraneous political reason that has nothing to do with the, with the text, if you like, with the show. So yeah. it is a kind of women's rights takeover of Doctor Who, the product... Yeah. In order to externally impose the idea that the doctor could should be a woman, uh, it's it's the the takeover of a of a particular political point perspective to do with race relations of the Little Mermaid, a takeover of that idea of the Little Mermaid to cast a, a woman of color to to play play Ariel. So the 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 argument on the right is that accuracy is being sacrificed for an irrelevant, extraneous political perspective that apparently has nothing to do with the text in question. And it's an agenda. Yeah. There's a sort of, there's an element or a flavor of conspiracy there yeah. that that the left and specifically the, the, um, the diversity mm. crowd, the mm. feminist crowd, mm. you yeah. know, that there's a, that there's a sort of central committee. Yeah. Sitting somewhere yeah. and deciding, uh, Little Mermaid's going to be our next target. Yeah. Ghostbusters is going to be a next target, mm. and it's an agenda that's being forwarded mm. um, without the consent of the fans. Yeah. Yes. Um. Which, I mean, there's so much there. Like, do do fans get to consent to? <laughs> do fans to anything? own? The, yeah. Do fans own the franchise? Uh, who owns the franchise? What? Who gets to decide? what happens to a particular story, to a particular franchise. Yeah, to a particular character. I mean, yeah. Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Fans freaked out yeah. at the end. And, yeah. you know, the, the belief that the fans get to get to say who mm. who lives and who dies, mm. um, that's a very populist mm. idea. It's, it, you know, it is a populist argument about... Um, about... the kind of purpose and ownership of stories. Yeah. Um, the left, of course, doesn't doesn't frame things in the same way. No, but the left does mobilize arguments about accuracy as well. Yes. Uh, so uh, often, I can't think of any specific examples at the moment, but quite often you will have people of color being cast in 
period dramas yes uh, in like set in Roman Britain for example or set in Victorian Britain and the right will come out arguing against the accuracy of it and, and people on the left will make the case that Roman Britain or Victorian Britain wasn't a monoracial society and bring out historical evidence to prove the presence of people of colour yeah. in, in, in these periods in Britain. Um, there was a particular Twitter thread which, which we can share in the comments which was uh, wonderfully well researched and very entertaining in response to the to, to casting a black woman to play, play Ariel uh, where this uh, scholar went through medieval and renaissance sources and put up various pictures of mermaids who are sometimes blue, sometimes white, sometimes black, sometimes, you know... Clearly, clearly unhuman. Um, yeah. Clearly not, like, not even not remote, even like human, a human. Yes. Fish-like yes. and... and... And depicting the the variety of... Uh, a variety in which mermaids are depicted through history as as a challenge to the accuracy argument. Uh, that there is the the argument that there was there is nothing accurate about the notion that Ariel can only be a white woman with red hair. Um, what what is our position about this sort of left deploying of of this accuracy argument? Uh, well, I mean, it's the historian in me. Mm. It you know is very interested in historical mm. accuracy, mm. but at the same time, I think for us it's not actually diagnosing the issues. Yeah. Um, it's it's missing the point. For me, it's absolutely missing the point. I mean, if we... I mean, you know, you said in an earlier episode that we don't do counterfactuals, which we don't. But if we were to indulge in a counterfactual for a second, if, if it had been the case that throughout history, people have always thought of and therefore drawn mermaids as white women with red hair, that wouldn't make the casting of a woman of colour wrong, I don't think. No. I think if it had been true that Roman Britain was entirely white or Victorian Britain was entirely white, that wouldn't make get casting an, a non-white actor wrong in yeah. period dramas set in Roman Britain or Victorian Britain. Yeah. So... That, and I guess that's my problem with the accuracy argument. Because if you go with the accuracy argument, then you box yourself in to the notion that you could never cast a black woman to play Elizabeth I, for example. Yeah. Or you could never cast a black uh, a black man playing Julius Caesar. Yeah. Um, and I, in, in other words, if we are, if we believe, which perhaps as an if. But if we believe in the importance of diversification of uh, kinds of stories that are told on stage and screen, kind of actors who we we cast to play certain characters, whether they're historically historical characters or not, then I don't think accuracy is a particularly useful argument for us on the left. I think the argument that casting is always a political decision and diversifying your casting is a politically progressive thing to do for me is a better argument yeah well and and if you go with accuracy and if you go with historical accuracy in in particular 
history itself tells us that mm. the construction of these types of politically salient mm. categories of identity are often used ultimately for dangerous or harmful or violent ends. Mm. And so the political act of recasting or reimagining mm. a character mm. that is traditionally represented as white or traditionally represented as a dude, mm. right? I'm thinking of women playing Hamlet, for example, mm. which is back in fashion, mm. um, was in fashion for a while in the 90s and then went out of fashion mm. and is now back in. Um, the, it, it actually works politically to undermine the categories themselves, mm. to, to reframe the, uh, the categories and make them less harmful potentially make them less violent that's the sort of the left-wing argument i think that we yeah would subscribe to i mean on a very fundamental foundational level it also severely misunderstands the relationship between history and historical fiction yeah right if if you cast a woman to play julius caesar you are not arguing that julius caesar was was a woman yeah the julius caesar who appears in shakespeare's play on stage is not julius caesar yeah and the, it's such a, it's, it's, it seems to me such a simple truth that it's, what, there has to be a lot of extraneous political brainwashing to convince people otherwise. Yeah. The, the idea that whatever kind of person you cast to play a historical figure, that has nothing to do with the actual historical figure. Yeah, is is so simple a, a case that you know it's astounding that that fact seems to be uh, being missed out on both the right and the left. Well, yeah, because if you're if you're interested in accuracy, yeah, this point is is an accurate one. Yeah, but then if if we are not interested in accuracy, then why might we argue or how might we argue against? Casting Elizabeth Taylor to play Cleopatra, for example. Yeah, or a white uh, white actor to play Othello. Or uh, uh, an able-bodied actor playing a disabled character. Yeah. So if we if we give up on the accuracy argument, then what is our argument there? It's about power hmm. and politics. So the individual, the individual casting decision and the individual piece itself. Mm. cannot be divorced from the wider social and political context. So for obvious reasons, you know, you we live in a racialized society. We live in a society that's based on categories of difference. And undermining or challenging or drawing attention to um, the inequality and injustice and violence that comes mm. with living in a society that's based on categories of difference requires that we pay attention to how casting gets done so they're not it's not equivalent Mm. to to say a complete you know we should have a completely blind approach Mm. you know a gender blind or a gender which is an this is ableist language anyway that's being used anyway yes um that to to completely disregard categories is not the solution yeah because there's this sort of economic side of things where actors who are disabled Mm. or actors who are transgender or actors who are people of color Mm. are 
have to work significantly harder in order to make a living making mm. art. Mm. Um, they there are fewer roles available for them. Mm. They're sh- they're shut out of the institutions that tend mm. to to train and then funnel into mm. the industry. Yeah. Um, Rada the mm. uh, the biggest and kind of most prestigious institution that trains uh, theater actors here in the UK basically feeds the West End. Mm and the Royal Shakespeare Company and is historically extremely exclusive. Um, You know, and and so in terms Mm. of structures and access, Mm. we're talking about a fundamentally unequal Mm. system. Mm. So that's one reason Mm. that you diversify in order to diversify the economy Mm. itself. But also there's the question of representation and role modeling, which Mm. you talked about. Mm. Um, That inclusivity doesn't isn't the same thing Mm. as random casting yes they're two fundamentally different acts politically yes Yes. so um gosh having a white man play othello is fundamentally different from a black man playing hamlet yeah or a woman playing either yeah as opposed to a man playing cleopatra yeah. For example. Though with gender, I think it gets... There's different stuff there's going different on with gender. Stuff, yeah. And we have yet to figure out exactly mm. how to solve... Mm. How to solve it to kind yeah. of... I guess move it to a place where mm. we feel more comfortable mm. and able to say this is how yeah. casting and gender should be done. Mm. Um, yeah, that there's always the wider power structures mm. at play mm. when it comes to casting. So how does how might we think about these power structures? If we use specific examples, uh, we, we spoke about uh, the live-action Aladdin in a previous episode. So if we return to the live-action Aladdin that, that, that has only just been released, um, Aladdin is played by Mena Masood, who is an Egyptian-Canadian actor. Of Egyptian origin, born and raised in Canada. Uh, it seems, I guess, fair enough uh, to have a Middle Eastern, North African man playing Aladdin in terms of either the political representation angle or the um, or the accuracy angle. Um, they've cast Naomi Scott, who's British. Uh, in terms of her heritage, she's half white British half East African Indian which isn't the same as casting a woman of Middle Eastern origin to play Jasmine is that is that okay is that would it have been better to cast a woman of Middle Eastern origin Uh, I think there's also uh, something to think about in terms of the difference between diaspora and not Mm -hmm. so is it is it better to cast uh, an actor who has grown up in the part of the world that you're depicting? Because there was, of course, privilege, often lines of privilege between diaspora and not. Yep. And there's a proximity to whiteness yeah. question here and hierarchies of whiteness, yeah. which are... Um, I don't know how much we've talked about this in terms of, um, of whiteness yeah. and representation within... 
communities mm. of color, mm. but it's a it's certainly um, a debate and a criticism um, when it comes to privileging lighter skinned yeah. uh, lighter skinned actors or performers within communities of color where you're mm. not where there aren't kind of you know white Europeans or white mm. North Americans running around. Mm. Um, you still have uh, hierarchies around around whiteness. Um, at play mm. so does does this reproduce that yeah. or challenge it you know where does it yeah so if we, if we are right in saying that the accuracy argument is is fundamentally sort of conceptually flawed and what one should do is instead of thinking about accuracy think about power structures as they exist in society when you are when you are deciding who who to cast for what the problem we're left with then is that that suggests that the lines of power are clean, as yeah. it were. In other words, you know, there is there a, there is clearly a power power difference between, in terms of casting a white man or a black woman for for a role, but if you are going to cast an imaginary blue genie. Is there a difference between casting an actor of Middle Eastern origin or a black American actor, for example? Where does the... What's the power differential there? Yeah. there's a, There was a really interesting... Um, it, it reminds me of, of the debate that happened when um, black American actors mm. said that black British actors yeah. were taking all their roles mm. Mm. Um, and that that black American roles were being given to British actors mm. even mm. though they were fundamentally American mm. roles and, and there was something about playing a black American man mm. that black American actors could understand more deeply and this it, there was a really interesting mm. yeah. um, set of debates and, and it goes happens. beyond acting. It, 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 you know, it reminds me a little bit of the certain kind of backlash that Barack Obama faced when it was it was argued that he isn't black because he ha- doesn't have slave ancestry, for yeah. example. Uh, there's a similar kind of argument going on at the moment about Kamala Harris, about whether she is black or black enough. To speak for the black experience in America. Yeah. So perhaps there is a different kind of accuracy authenticity argument going on here about what kind of heritage, what kind of lived experience can you authentically bring to a role when yeah. you're being cast for it. Yeah, so it moves from accuracy to authenticity. Yeah. Um, which isn't the same thing as accuracy. Yes. Um, Authenticity is about, and in order for authenticity to be achieved Mm. or made possible or made Mm. manifest, you have there has to be an agreement on some sort of shared reality Mm. about what it is to what it is to have an experience and what makes that a a real Mm. experience and. I think, you know, we talk about, we've talked about storytelling before. Mm. And I think that when it comes to authenticity, is cultural representation 
ever mm. fully authentic? I mean, what is... I mean, even if you have... Even if you're playing a, a, a character who is of your racial heritage, who is of your gender, all of those things, you the the definition of acting is playing someone else. Yeah. Right? So you, you are not playing yourself. And if you're not playing yourself, if you're inhabiting the role of someone else, then is it... Some, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Is it somehow counterintuitive to impose barriers about who you can play or can't? If the whole point about acting is, and obviously you have much more acting experience than I do, which is none. Uh, but surely, as someone who's never done any kind of acting, isn't the isn't the process of preparing for a role somehow imagining yourself to be this other person? And is, if that is the case, then I said, is it counterintuitive to impose barriers about what kind of person you can imagine yourself to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is the sort of uh, the sort of second wave feminist argument yeah. about this as well. Like uh, Lionel Shriver has has um, I don't agree with her position mm-hmm. at all, of course, mm-hmm. but um, she has sort of said uh, because I think she's misinterpreted and misunderstood the critical race critique Mm. um which is that that you either imagine your characters as fully developed and fleshed out and interesting um and not problematic Mm. people who are different from you or you don't write them at all yeah um and if you can't write them should you be allowed to write about white people mm. at all? Like mm. there's this sort of, um, and they tie themselves up in knots mm. about it. I think that the mm. kind of old left mm. really struggles mm. to deal with this question. Mm. But for me, I mean, when you talk about acting, mm. there are limits to what you do. Mm. So there's limits to casting. Mm. Because ultimately what you have is a script mm. in front of you. Mm. And scripts are not all made equal mm. generally speaking they at this point scripts that get produced and scripts that get supported and that get kind of made into a kind of final mm. product whether that's a theater piece or a movie mm. or a tv show follow a prescribed mm. kind of set of, of formats that mm. are mainstreamable mm. and you kind of are working with the limits of the, the text all you mm. really have is a text and obviously um you know, actors will and directors will always fall back on. You know, actors can do anything, and you mm. you do everything that you can within the you know within the story. Tell the story, tell the story, mm. tell the story. But like, if the story is fundamentally about a certain thing mm. and is telling a certain type mm. of story, or mm. is making a certain argument, mm. or is putting out into the world a certain mm. set of values. Mm which is what cultural representation does. Mm. That's all you have. And mm. the there's limits to it. So even if there were an ideal cast, mm. a sort of politically ideal yeah. cast, yeah. to a movie like Aladdin or The Little Mermaid, mm. and, and we're talking about The Little Mermaid specifically, you still have, at its core... A fundamentally misogynist story. Yes. About a woman 
who actually literally agrees to give up her voice mm. in order to become able-bodied and yeah. get legs to mm. to have a super heteronormative life mm. and that yeah. you know no amount of diverse casting is going to change the mm. fact that Aladdin is a is an orientalist fantasy mm. they are that, that that's the limit you know you yeah. get that wall that yeah. Disney wall yeah and that to me is the is the limit here like like my take is our we need to really look at our stories mm. um and critique our stories mm. in the way that we do right we read mm. text all day that's mm. pretty much all we do is mm. we read text for meaning mm. and you know we need to tell different stories that's kind of my the, the sort of first point of entry for me yeah or or even we need to think about the the politics of the stories that are being told and the stories that are being heard yeah. and the people who are telling them while recognizing that the structural inequalities in race, class, gender terms that exist in society will always problematize the stories that can be told. Yeah. And changing the kinds of stories that are told on its own won't change those those structural inequalities. To put it simply, capitalism will always inflect the kind of stories that can be told within capitalism. And telling a different kind of story on its own, it's, it's necessary to tell different kinds of stories, but telling a different kind of story on its own isn't sufficient to challenge capitalism. Yeah. Would be our, I think, overarching argument to be made here. Yeah. That the yeah well because because I mean I guess in in the sort of theoretical mm. world the jargon mm. part of the jargon is is um, like the the concept of interpolation mm. which is I think underlying yeah. the the left and right wing kind of responses mm. to this mm. question of diversity in casting where what you see represented in the kind of cultural arena or um, the me- you know news media mm, arena mm. or whatever that that is it reflects back to you a certain identity and so you then go through the process of constructing your identity as part of your consumption of that culture and mm. then that then feeds back into what kind of culture you consume and it's this process whereby the two kind of reproduce and mutate yeah. Do you want to introduce interpolation in a little bit more detail for our listeners? Yeah. So it's one of my favorite concepts because I find it both quite intuitive once you Mm. understand how it works, Mm. but also so kind of insidious and and hidden that you don't know that it's happening. Like commodity fetishism, which we've talked about before. Mm. Um, it's, It's essentially this process where the individual and wider society work in tandem with each mm. other and mm. in tension with each other. So the individual is, can never be divorced from kind of social and economic and political structures at work, but the mm. individual also isn't completely without agency yeah. and is engaging with, interacting with the wider structures at play. And so that that process of identity formation um, specifically happens through interpolation. So the individual 
is engaging with media or engaging with storytelling or engaging with art in some way. Mm. And that art reflects some sort of uh, kind of set of values or stories about what it means to be human, what it mm. means to have a self, what it means to, to have a sort of identity that exists mm. in the world in relation to others. And the individual then consumes these things, sees these things, absorbs them, and starts to embody and take on certain mm. aspects of, of that representation mm. and then goes out into the world and performs it. Mm. And that performance creates kind of social and, and cultural interaction and then gets fed back into the cultural representation itself. So this is where, where films will tell certain mm. stories, TV shows will tell certain stories, artists mm. will tell mm. certain stories, musicians will tell certain stories. Mm. And it's a reflection of individual identities mm. as they're being collective identities, as they're being performed. Okay. And it's a two way process yes. that is interpolation. Yes. So it's a, it's a term made most famous by French theorist Louis Althusser. Uh, the example that Althusser gives in terms of how to conceive interpolation is if a policeman hails you by saying, Hey you, and the policeman is behind you, you recognize the policeman's hail turn around to look and in that act of turning around you are submitting yourself to the policeman's authority and in the process your identity is being constructed yeah now that's a very specific identifiable moment but that is and that's the analogy he uses except that is it, it's much more diffuse than that right so if you if you grow up uh consuming stories of a particular kind let's say you only ever see stories about Muslim people becoming terrorist, terrorists. Then perhaps you grow up thinking that that's what happens. Yeah. Right? That so your identity, if you happen to be Muslim, gets bound up with all the stories you've consumed, which depict you as a terrorist. Yeah. Um, so from an from an interpolation perspective, it becomes really really important to have different kinds of stories that allow yourself to imagine your identity in different ways, right? So if you grow up as a child, grow up as a, let's say you are, you are a little girl watching Disney films and you only ever see Disney princesses being white and blonde and you are not white and blonde, then you don't see how you can fit in to that stru- structured narrative, right? That, that you, you and the way you look don't belong in that world and that you're not worthy of a yes. certain type of love yes. that you are not the kind of person that is um the object of a particular type of uh romantic and sexual love yes and that you are a different type of body mm. you're a different type mm. of person mm. that isn't that yeah and it's it, there's a it's similar to um if you're a boy mm. and you grow up watching Disney movies and you see princesses who are clearly girls. Yes. But you would really like to have the love and affection of a certain type of handsome man. Yes. You're, you also don't fit in Mm. to that story, that narrative. Or if you're a little, you've been identified as a boy and you feel like a princess. Yep. And there's, there's no space there for you. There's no space in the kind of stories that are, that are being told to you where you can belong. You don't don't you can't fit your life, your thoughts, your imagination, your experience as a human being into the stories that that you are watching growing up. Yeah, where casting comes in is to diversify 
the types of people that get to sit in the story. Yes. So the it broadens the scope or spectrum of possibilities mm. for who gets to have and see themselves in mm. the stories that are being told, mm. which politically is really important. Yes. It's something that we would say yes. should happen and there should be more of. Yes. I would also say it's limited because yes. the stories themselves are still, they're still full of the, the kind of values and assumptions that we make mm. about how how people are and how people mm. live their lives and how they interact with one another. Um, so the idea, I mean, Disney movies have a very particular set of assumptions about what romance looks like and what a loving relationship looks like and what a family looks like. And that I would argue mm. is fundamentally problematic and mm. limited. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly from a feminist mm. perspective, um, that even if you even if you were to create um, a mixed race couple, mm. which mm. has been done, yeah. um, the Princess and the Frog is. I mean, it's one of my favorite Disney mm. movies. I think mm. it's amazing, and mm. it does represent a kind of. Uh, mixed race um, and mixed class mm. uh, perspective mm. Mm. Um, that is is politically engaged mm. but ultimately the it ends in a wedding yeah and it ends in a a you know a sort of like heteronormative story about mm. romance mm. Um, that I think you know, we could maybe have different stories. Yes. <laughs> so, what is the relationship between inclusivity and diversity and different stories? Is your argument that finding different actors who look different to play roles on its own isn't enough unless we change the stories? Or is your argument that finding actors who look different is a starting point in a process which will allow us to it's, so I sort of think of it as it's a it's a it's addressing a symptom. Yeah. So rather than the cause of the problem or the crux of the problem or the problem yes. itself being a lack of representation, mm. that that lack of representation is a symptom of something bigger, mm. which is the symptom of something bigger is the system itself is racist mm. Mm. and the stories that are being told in the format that they're being told in and in the the industries in which they are being told are fundamentally mm. racist institutions. Yes. And are fundamentally capitalist mm. institutions mm. and that those two things are bound up in one another. Mm. So if all you do is diversify a cast or diversify an artistic crew, you aren't undermining the capitalist industry mm. itself. Mm. You are just appropriating a more diverse group of laborers to underwrite the system. Mm. Mm. So for me, uh, you know, I'm more interested in thinking about where, where and how we can consume other types of stories that are being told. Because it's not that they're not being told. Yes. There are a ton of playwrights. And poets yeah. and musicians and actors and writers mm. who are unpaid, who are producing work, 
that mm. is unpaid mm. and that doesn't have a platform mm. provided by a multinational corporation. Mm. They're out there. Mm. I know them. Mm. Many of them are my friends. Um, and the either the kind of diffusing of capital mm. and sending capital outwards yeah. um, would do this or you know, smashing capitalism mm. generally would mm. do it. I don't know. Um, but this is one of many sort of symptoms. You've always said that one of the problems with identity, mm. one of the difficulties that people who work on identity and culture have is this question of capitalism and how most identities, and you say that class is one of mm. the exceptions, is kind of the key exception, are able to be appropriated by capitalism. And this is a really, mm. I think, clear example of that. Mm. That, um, you know, we might really appreciate the fact that mm. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith and their kids are, you know, this sort of new, wealthy, successful, powerful, black artistic mm. family. But ultimately, their existence doesn't undermine the capitalist system, which continues to keep black Americans poor mm. at a sort of macro scale. So both in terms of as diverse a cast as you can imagine and as diverse a storytelling industry as you can imagine, as diffuse a filmmaking, theatre-making, storytelling world you can imagine, is ever going to do that on its own. Yeah. None of the things we're talking about can challenge capitalism on its own. But So I guess this is sort of conceptually going back to where we started from a kind of problem with that the left has, which is we have to argue for diversification of caste. We have to argue for diversification of storytelling while being aware of its limits as a as a tool to enable progressive change. Yeah. Yeah, that not and just not I think not settling hmm. for diverse and politically progressive casting decisions, mm. knowing that that's not enough. Mm. Um, and I think my problem with the kind of the online discourse and the, yeah. the sort of mainstream uh, liberal discourse about yeah. it is that it mm. is seen to be enough. Yeah. It is, you know, um, the end point is better representation. I mean, Black Panther is, is, we've talked about Black Panther before, but it, it comes back to that as sort of an iconic example, right? I, I, I remember uh, having a conversation with uh, a friend of mine and a friend of the pod who we've, we've had before on the podcast, Sam Haddo. Uh, this was when Black Panther was, was out in the cinema and it, it, it coincided with our strikes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, money was in short supply because we weren't being paid. And I really wanted to go to the cinema, but to, to watch it, but didn't have a huge amount of money. And someone suggested, you know, why, you know, why don't you just download it? Uh, and I said, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to pay for something, this seems like a good thing to pay for. In so far as you want to encourage diverse storytelling, yeah. And Sam very, very correctly and very, very, very perceptibly pointed out, well, you mean you you want to pay Marvel? Yeah, And, you know, th- there is something to both sides of this debate, right? That 
if we believe in purchase power as a thing within capitalism and we believe in the importance of diverse forms of storytelling then the argument that we need to use our purchase power to try to encourage global multinational production companies to produce diverse stories has a certain kind of internal logic to it but equally the the end point of that internal logic is more profit for global multinational production companies yeah right and and if you believe in in if you believe in a kind of critical marxist analysis of capitalism then you have to recognize that disney or marvel or whoever doesn't really care if they cast all white actors if they cast all black actors if they tell white stories if they tell black stories as long as their stories sell yeah right so it they are perfectly happy to sell us an all female version of ghostbusters or an all female version of versions 11 or you know uh, an all black lion king or whatever it might be because it will sell yeah and as long as they are selling us things that increase their profit capitalism carries on as normal yeah that was cheery <laughs> it's to be fair it's less less depressing than many of our other episodes have been yeah anyway yeah let us know what you think um let us know if you have disagreements with us um rate us review us on iTunes uh we are now on Spotify by the way uh if you if you're a Spotify user then you can find us on Spotify uh we are trying to increase our presence across all <laughs> podcast uh channels um hope that was of interest um and we'll see you next week bye bye we hope you enjoyed this episode I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick and I have been an India Richardvi. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H Fitz and me at Dr. An India R. Our show is on Facebook at State of the Theory Podcast and on Twitter at Theory Doctors. Our music is provided by the Agrarians and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Thank you.